the very first chapter, chapter 1, we'll read from verse 10 down to the very last verse, which is verse 24. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 10, reading from verse 10, chapter 1 and verse 10, and down to verse 24. If you are there, I will lead in reading. Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather... I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how I intensely, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father. But when God, who set me apart from birth, and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not consult any man, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I'm writing you is no lie. Later, I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praise God because of me. Here ends the reading of the word of God. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we are so grateful that yet again in this day we are privileged to come before you and to have you speak to us. Gracious Lord, indeed speak and encourage us from your word. In the name of your son, Jesus Christ, we plead. Amen. Well, I want to speak on the subject of the Christian testimony. The Christian testimony. Uh, it was wonderful this morning to hear testimonies from three brothers who are applying for membership. Um, it is a wonderful thing that I've always found in my life each time I'm given an opportunity to, to share my personal testimony. And I've always told people that there are it's always a difficult thing to make it short. Uh, thankful Rachundo was on hand to help it become short. Otherwise, we would have been saying it up to now. <laughs> but it's a, it's a very wonderful thing to share, I mean, to, 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 to share one's own testimony. And I want to talk on that subject of Christian testimony. Uh, first of all, by way of introduction, introduction on the subject, um, Christian testimony is basically our own 
story of how we came to the Lord. Uh, it encompasses our former life and how we got to know him and how things are going on now. That's basically what it is. Uh, now, this is with respect to salvation. However, there are many other different types of uh, Christian testimonies. We do testify of other things that the Lord is doing in our lives. We do testify of the Lord's goodness in giving us jobs, uh, in giving us spouses, in giving us children, uh, in giving us friends and family, uh, and so many other things we can testify about. But this evening, I want us to talk about or to dwell on uh, Christian testimony that has to do with how a person uh, gets saved. And so in doing so, I yet again have three things uh, to, uh, as my main points to, to dwell on this evening. And for those that are interested in writing, the first is its contradiction. Its contradiction. And the second is its consistency. Uh, the Christian testimony, its contradiction. The Christian testimony, its consistency. Uh, the Christian testimony, thirdly, its confirmation. And so what, we, what are we talking about when we are saying its contradiction in the first instance? The Apostle Paul, in the portion that we have read, he was uh, sharing uh, out of the many things he was talking about, he was pausing to a little bit talk about himself, a little bit talk about his personal testimony. He was writing to a church that was under threat with heresy. And so he was trying to counter that heresy. Uh, and because he, he preached to that church, uh, and that, that church was formed out of his uh, missionary labors, he was particularly concerned that uh, they were slowly uh, uh, buying into the wrong teachings. Uh, and so he realized also that he, those people who were bringing in a wrong teaching were basically attacking the gospel, first of all. But uh, the gospel, it is him that preached it. And so when they were attacking the very gospel that he preached, they were indirectly also at the same time discrediting the man who preached that very gospel. And so he was at pains to, uh, to explain or to plead with them uh, that they should not turn to any other gospel. And that's what we see between verse 6 and uh, verse 9. He is basically dealing with the fact that there is no other gospel other than that which he preached. And whatever it is that others are preaching, which is, in, which is not in conformity to what he had preached, is not gospel. But because also his apostleship was under threat, he was now bothered to, at this point of time, uh, slotting his own testimony of conversion where uh, he would try also to amplify further on the subject that he was dealing with with respect to the discrediting of his apostleship. And so, the first thing that I want us to see in his sharing of his testimony is what I've already said, it's contradiction. And what do I mean when I say it's contradiction? Uh, this has to do with the, how one's new life contradicts or contrasts with his former life. In short, what I'm basically trying to say is that uh, a Christian testimony will, ha will have as part of it a portion 
which basically uh, highlights one's former life. You know, being in Zambia, which is a Christian nation, uh, I've experienced some interesting answers when you go out for evangelism and you ask a person if they are Christians or not. Uh, because we are a Christian nation, a lot of people are quick to say, yes, I'm a Christian. And some of them, when you ask them, how did you become a Christian, or how do you know you're a Christian, a very interesting answer is that because Zambia is a Christian nation, therefore, I'm a Christian. And so basically they are saying there is no, there was no time when I was not a Christian. Others would say I was born a Christian. Um, They think because their mother and father were Christians, were church leaders, and so it's not possible that they themselves wouldn't be Christians, having been born in a, in a Christian environment and uh, growing up in such an environment and participating in Christian or religious activities in their local churches. Uh, and they're finding it difficulty when they look back to think that there was a time when they were not Christians. The, 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 the Baptist, John the Baptist, the prophet, he also had issues with the... Uh, the Jews of his time. There was a time when he was preaching around Jordan and then he began to baptize. Uh, A lot of them came to him to be baptized and he chased them away. And one of those arguments he put up was that you should not think that because you are sons of Abraham, then all is well with you. My point is this. We don't just find ourselves to be Christians without some unchristian past. Of course, it is true that there are some who get saved while they are young, but the point is before you got saved, you were not a Christian. And so your Christian life must have some sort of some contradiction with your former life. And that's what he's basically trying to, first of all, bring to attention to the Galatians by, first of all, sharing to them what it was like before he himself got saved. The Apostle Paul was in a habit of sharing his testimony at every given opportunity. Uh, It's like he just was so fond of it. And when you read throughout the book of Acts, I think, could be on more than two occasions where he shared his testimony. Here to the Galatians, he shares his testimony. He writes to the Philippians, he talks a a little bit about his testimony. I think even to the Corinthians also. He writes to Timothy, he talks about it. He shares with people. He, he, He was so very passionate to let people know who he was. And here he's doing the same thing. But in Doing so, the first part that he does is that he he gives us a little bit of a contradiction from what so many people tend to to have as a view of how they became Christian. He first of all says, before I was a Christian, I was a sinner. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man. Nor was I taught it, rather I I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life 
in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. This is his former life in contrast to his present life now that he's saved and now zealous for the Lord, now saving the Lord. A Christian testimony must have some sort of some history. Otherwise, we will not be grateful if we do not have a past in terms of us seeing from where the Lord is bringing us to where he has brought us thus far. It is very important as believers to, from time to time, learn to share our testimony, but not only just to share it, but also to reflect on it ourselves, as the Apostle Paul himself was in a habit of doing. Because when we don't do so, we sometimes might end up getting puffed up and forget that we are where we are, but by the grace of God. Every Christian must have a testimony. And that testimony must have some sort of some history of what it was like before you met the Lord. That's the contrast that should be there. We must, with that history, be able to contrast our former life with our present life. He does the same, like I said, to the Philippians in chapter 3. And you realize that many times when he talks about his life, he doesn't... It's like he's not so kind in describing his former life. Once upon a time, writing to Timothy, he says in First Timothy that I was the worst of sinners, suggesting like that there in this life was no one as wicked as I was myself. You must have a past of your own, and in reflecting onto that past, as you see it contradicting with your present life, it must definitely, obviously, humble you to the point of wanting to remain faithful to the Lord. Our pasts must help us to see how God has been good to us. Secondly, it's consistency. In talking about its consistency, this is about our testimony being in tandem or in agreement, in agreement with the scriptural teaching of how one gets saved. Our testimony must maintain consistency with what the scriptures teach with regard to how we get saved. And like I said earlier, that people have got all kinds of crazy ideas on how they became Christians. Before I became a Christian, I used to envy people who would stand in front leading worship services and even preach. And I would ask myself questions. What do I need in order to be that? Sadly, I didn't even have anyone else to ask. I would just ask these questions within my heart. And one of the common conclusions I would have was that I need to perhaps begin to act up good so that perhaps they will notice me and have me in and participate. 
For me, it was just an envy of people participating in worship leading and the respect that they would, they would, we would give to those people who would lead in these activities. And so men, many people also get to feel like I need to do something. Others will tell you, I became a Christian because I got baptized. We are Baptists, and I think we do emphasize baptism that when one has been born again, uh, one of their first acts of obedience is that they must seek baptism. And so we are not here trying to, to play down on baptism, but we are saying it is not because we, we are baptized that we become Christians. I've mentioned already about uh, uh, John the Baptist encountering the Jews who thought um, uh, because they are descendants of Abraham, then all was well. They should just be accepted and they should just be allowed to go undergo the waters of baptism. Others have gloried in what they are able to do, how that they are so very disciplined that they don't miss church services. They are very prompt in observing religious activities. And they do so. It's not as though people on their own can't do some good things. A lot of people are able to do quite a lot of good things. But it is not by those good things that we do that we are saved. When you read through actually the, the very book of Galatians, particularly in chapter 3, the Apostle Paul actually he gets emotional when he, he thinks about these people who are now turning away from the gospel to this other thing, which is no gospel at all, which is based on works. Where I come from in Kalomo, uh, predominantly we've got a, a church that emphasizes the keeping of the law. And so, so many people are so ignorant of what the Bible talks about the law in the book of Galatians, what the Bible says about the law in the book of Romans chapter 3 and verse 19 and verse 20. They think for as long as we keep this day, anyone else who doesn't worship on this particular day, they are not Christians. And so, they have clinged to what they are able to do. But the Apostle Paul here is quick to say, no, 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 it's not based on what I did. So after that former life of mine, after that terrible history of mine living in a life of sin, what happened to him? In verse 15 he says, but when God, but when God who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. The Apostle Paul is basically saying this was not my own doing. He's trying to align his testimony in conformity to what the scriptures are teaching about how a person gets saved. It is not by our works. It is not by anything good on our part. It is all by the grace of God. Again, writing to the Ephesians in chapter 2, he says, But God. And throughout the whole scriptures, throughout all his letters, the Apostle Paul keeps on emphasizing this fact. 
that it is not by what we do. The famous Romans chapter 3, he emphasizes that just right in that chapter on many occasions. In chapter 5, he says that actually when God sent his son Jesus Christ to come and die for us, we were at our worst. And many times we tend to think, I think now I'm at my best. The moment we tend to feel like now I'm at my best, that's when we have gone to our very lowest, at our very worst point ever. Our Christian testimonies must, must maintain consistency, must conform with the scriptural teaching that we are saved not by what, by, not by anything within us, but it is by grace. Ephesians chapter 2 teaches us that actually we once were dead in our sins. And I always try to emphasize this, that dead people can't do anything. You might want to get the best ever chef in the whole world and let him prepare the best ever meal ever in this whole world with the best aroma ever, take it to the grave of that. And let's see if those people under those graves will smell it. They won't. Try to get the loudest man ever here on earth and put him on the loudest peer system ever here on, in the world and let him shout the loudest and put the volume on its maximum. They will not hear him. Kick them and do all what you can do. They are merely corpse. So then, how can corpse come out of the graves and make a decision to say, I feel like today I must become a believer? They can't. And so you shouldn't sit there telling a testimony that you finally one day realize that you are a bad person without... God making you realize it and that on your own you stood up and you began to do things rightly and you made yourself acceptable before God. Well, there was a group of people during the time of Jesus Christ who thought they are the most acceptable and then when the Messiah came, he should have first of all aligned himself with them. And he told them point blank, I did not come for the well, I came for the sick. And so if you think you are well, well, Let's see how well you are when he comes again. And so because of that, I do tell people, on judgment day, we'll see good guys going to hell and bad guys going to heaven. As we see that bad guy on the cross, on the right side, who pleaded with the Lord, please remember me when you come into your father's kingdom. The bad guys are there. And those good guys who thought they were stopping bad things, they will be shocked. And if you think you are a good guy, and in your testimony, you are a good guy. There was never a time when you were a bad guy. I want to urge you to rethink, to relook it, and see to it that your testimony is maintaining consistency that it is in tandem, that it is in conformity with what the scriptures say 
it has to be as the scriptures have put it, that it is only God and God alone, by his grace alone and alone, the grace of God alone. Thirdly, the Christian testimony and its confirmation. So, whereas it is your personal testimony, and we do well to respect individual personal testimonies, they will differ one, from one person from another. How the Apostle Peter got saved is not the same way how the Apostle Paul got saved. Some people's testimonies are quite dramatic. Other people's testimonies, they don't have so much drama. Because generally in their life, they, they have been good people, not until when they realize that actually they were good people, not good enough. Others, we know their stories. We know how stubborn they used to be. And when they got changed, when they, when they got converted, the whole community is able to talk about it. The whole community is able to swing their heads and they're saying, what happened? That's a little bit of what we see with the Apostle Paul. However, whether it was dramatic or not, there is something that is so very common about all testimonies. Is that even if it is your testimony, it still must have a confirmation from the wider body of Christ. Otherwise, if we don't need confirmation of our testimonies, we don't need people to come in front and testify. All we need is to hear them say, I am saved. Then we say, next week, come, you get baptized. And we baptize them and we move on. But it was clearly announced here when the three brethren gave their testimonies that the church has been given two weeks in which to interact with these brethren. Obviously, one of the, re the reasons there is this two weeks gap, it is that perhaps in our interaction with these people, we might pick one or two things that doesn't seem to agree with Scripture. And so either at our individual level would want to address that matter, or will bring that matter to the attention of the elders, who will have to attend to that. And so sometimes you may have to have to see some people being delayed from being accepted into membership, if there is something. And so because of that, every testimony, much as it is a personal testimony, there has got to be confirmation from the wider body of Christ. And the Apostle Paul did that also. And so we are told in verse 18 that after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I'm saying, what I'm writing you is no lie. Later, I went on to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. Listen to verse 23. They only heard the reports. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they praise God because of me. So here we've got people confirming, and they are basically making a confirmation through what they have heard from others. 
when the Apostle Paul got converted, people were very reluctant to meet up with him because of his history. They thought it was a mere trap because he was on a mission to arrest all those that are professing faith in Christ and have them arrested. And so how can you tell me to go and meet up with this man who is here on a mission to arrest us? They needed confirmation that it is true that, that this man who was persecuting the church, who was destroying the work of God, is actually now a changed man. He is no longer persecuting the church. He actually, he's, he himself is now soon about to be persecuted in the same manner he was persecuting the church. The point is, he needed, he, he needed to be accepted by the wider body of Christ. And the wider body of Christ had to look into his testimony. Not only his personal testimony of conversion was under scrutiny, but even his ministry. Partly the coming to Jerusalem, it was also to explain his ministry to the Gentile world. You cannot be a Christian in isolation. You must be a Christian belonging to a body of Christ. And that body of Christ must have accepted you as one of their own. Our testimony of conversions, they must be subject to scrutiny. And we should not take offense when people ask us again and again. I remember in Kalomo, a certain young man who is now in Lusaka. I think I must have either knowingly, I know on some instances it was knowingly, asked him many times to share with me his testimony. At some point he got frustrated. How many times are you going to ask me? I want to encourage you, brethren, that you shouldn't take offense when people ask you again and again to share with them your testimony of conversion. Sometimes it's not so much that they are doubting, but sometimes maybe you don't know it is an encouragement to them that truly you are saved. One of those things that I would do when I meet a stranger and I, I ask them about their conversion uh, or to share their testimony, uh, I'm usually aware that some people don't have the courage to ask, why are you asking me? And so I offer to explain to them why I'm asking them. And here is my explanation why I do ask people. is When you say you are a Christian, you're basically saying you're a child of God. And here am I, on the other hand, I claim that I'm a child of God. So what you're basically saying when you say you are a Christian, you're saying that my father is your father. Honestly, if you are somewhere and you meet a stranger and you ask them their name and they tell you that they are Sakala also. You will not just brush it aside. Of course, there are so many Sakalas in Zambia. But you definitely take an interest to know. You never know in this world. Uh, you can be my relative, actually. So how is it that my father happens to be your father also? How did that happen? And that's why I'm interested. It's because you are telling me that you are my brother. And so I should take interest to know how you are my brother. And so if you are one of those who fear to query people about their conversion, I want to challenge you that begin to take an interest in other brethren who claim to be God's children. 
Take a, a keen interest. Otherwise, how would you even love a brother you don't know how he became your brother? I mean, it's a common thing when after you've grown up, then you get to realize that actually your father had other children. It's a very difficult thing to begin to relate with them because there are quite a lot of uh, moral issues at play. Uh, sometimes some people don't want to talk much because they don't want to question the morality of their parents and things like that. But the point is that somehow you would take an interest to know why these guys are just popping up during my father's burial and they are claiming that they are my brothers, they are my half-brothers and things like that. In the same manner, Christians must, must take interest in other Christians. The Apostle Paul himself bothered to actually seek that confirmation from the wider Christian community, but he also had a personal interest in other Christians. So there was a church called Colossae or in Colossians. In that church, that, that church was not founded by, by the Apostle Paul himself, but he writes to them to encourage them. And in writing to them to encourage them, he first of all expresses how that they have encouraged him, they themselves. What is it that encouraged the Apostle Paul? So in chapter 1 of Colossians, I'll begin from verse 3 and end up to verse 7. There are some few things that really encourage the Apostle Paul about the Colossians, a people he had never met, most likely. He says, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Why do you thank God when you pray for them? And why do you even pray for them to start with? You don't know them. Because we have heard of how your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints. Two things that encourage the Apostle Paul about the Colossians is that they exhibited faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and that they also exhibited love for others who also exhibited their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And because he was assured that these are brothers and sisters in the Lord, he bothered to get down on his knees to pray for them. And in his praying for them, he thanked God for their lives. In praying for them, he prayed that God would strengthen their faith, that they would come to understand Christ in his fullness, who he really is, and so on and so forth. The whole chapter 1, it's the Apostle Paul expressing his encouragement by the Colossians' faith, but also trying to encourage them. There you have it. The confirmation of their testimony. Also, the Thessalonians. The Apostle Paul ministered among the Thessalonians, but for a very short period of time, it was a very difficult ministry to them. And so, when he was being wandered out of that city, he must have been leaving that city with so much worry that the few people that have, had expressed faith in the Lord with the hostile environment he left them, they may not survive. A few years later, he writes to them to basically express how that he is encouraged, how that they have stood firm and that their testimony has reached far and wide. How did it reach far and wide? The people far and wide who had been to Thessalonica were able to confirm that here, yes, there has been the work of grace. 
And so much as it is your testimony, you should also allow yourself to be known by others. Let others confirm you. Of course, you are not basically saying, we are not trying to say here that if I think you are not a Christian, then you have lost your Christianity because I don't approve of your testimony. I mean, we, we, we will differ here and there on one or two details, but ultimately, it is the Lord himself who actually knows who, 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 who he really are, who are really is his. And so, we are not basically saying that we should here seek the approval of men. The Apostle Paul he himself actually is talking to the Galatians here that he's not seeking the approval of men. But in saying he's not seeking the approval of men, he's not saying, I don't care. He does really care that he should be accepted. He does really care that it should be... The, 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 the others also can confirm that there has been the work of God in his life and even in his ministry. That's what a Christian testimony is. It is meant to be an encouragement to ourselves. But in others confirming it, they also are being encouraged. And so with our Christian testimonies, we are able to encourage others. With our Christian testimonies, we are also able to preach to others. It is also a tool that can actually be used. It's a tool that can be used for outreach. There are some people who just need to hear how the Lord worked it out for you. Some of you have got some bad record from your past, from your school days, when your friends from school days meet you. They're saying, what happened to you? They're now interested to know what has happened. And don't shy away to let them know that grace happened. Don't shy away to let them know that once upon a time, somebody or somehow I bumped into the gospel. Your personal testimony can also be your personal summary of what the gospel is because you are going to be pointing people to the Christ, to the God who brought about the change in your life. And so ultimately, at the end of the day, as we wind up, our testimonies must reflect Christ. They must be to the praise and glory of our God. As we hear the Apostle Paul himself, those that were, were able to confirm, they were able to praise God that actually he was a changed man. Let us use our testimonies to encourage others, but also to bring glory to God. Let us use our testimonies to point people to Christ. If your testimony is all about what you have been able to do, well, it might not be a testimony of conversion. It could be just a testimony of how you have had the ability to do whatever it is that you've been able to do. But you've got to get back to default settings and listen to the gospel and look up to God and plead with him to save you, to change you, 
so that when you go out there sharing with, with others what happened to you, it will not be full of and I, and then I, and then I. It will be but God, but God's grace. It has to be but to the glory of God because it is by God's grace alone that you have been saved. Amen.